0: Well, uh, this morning, open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read verses 14 through 30 this morning. And we're going to look at the last Passover, the, the true Passover this morning. That's the title of the message, the true Passover. And we're going to begin in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 26. So let's, let's read God's Word together. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, as it is written of him. But woe to that man By whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank You so much for enduring what You endured in order to forgive us of our sins. Thank You for enduring the suffering. Thank You for enduring the betrayal. Lord, these things hurt and cut You deeply. And we are just so thankful that You willingly sacrificed Your body and You willingly shed Your blood for sinners like us to atone for all of our transgressions and our sins, and to reconcile us to the Father. Lord, we don't deserve to have a personal relationship with You, but we're so thankful that You are a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God, and Your steadfast love endures forever. We love You so much. Touch our hearts through Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Oh, it's so good to see you, church. It's love just looking at you. Uh, you guys are wonderful. The first point, this message uh, in this message is betrayed. Betrayed. And the second point is broken and bloodied. Betrayed and then broken and bloodied. And the main point that I want to reiterate to you again and again throughout this message, believer, is that Christ's blood of the new covenant means steadfast love for you. For all those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you have trusted in the broken body and shed blood of our Lord on the cross. Christ's blood of the new covenant means steadfast love for you. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be uplifted. I want you to be freshly assured believer of your salvation. But for Jesus, it's important to note that it wasn't a picnic getting there. It was a brutal, rough road all the way to the cross, and one of the daggers that hit Jesus is in this first point, that He was a man betrayed. Betrayed. You look at the context of this passage. Remember last week we looked at Jesus anointed at Bethany and the, the precious, uh, very expensive ointment, the alabaster flask, of very expensive perfume that was offered up by Mary. It was broken upon Jesus as a precious act of extravagant worship. And it cost a year's wages just that one offering to the Lord. And we looked at how precious and glorious and how worthy Christ is of that type of extravagant worship. And then in contrast to that and and to the great cost, we we turn and, and there's an immediate tale about Judas in contrast to that great act of extravagant worship, to a betrayal of Christ. It says here in 14, one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Judas, perhaps struggling with Jesus' rebuke of the disciples in general, when it says in 26, in the earlier verses of this chapter, Jesus said, why do you trouble this woman, disciples? They were saying, that, why did you do this? This money, this ointment could have been given toward ministry to the poor. And Jesus corrected and even Rebuke the disciples. Why do you trouble the woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And we know that in the Gospel of John, that was also particularly kind of led by the disciples, by Judas Iscariot, and the others followed in tow. But, but Judas, perhaps struggling with Jesus' rebuke of the disciples in general, and of him in particular, and perhaps also realizing that Jesus wasn't going to lead them out from under Roman oppression. His background was that he was a zealot and he had high hopes for Jesus inaugurating the kingdom with conquest that would deliver them out from Roman oppression. That perhaps could have been a driving force as well. And here's Jesus talking again and again about how I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And he referenced even in the act of worship that Mary and her precious act of extravagant worship was preparing Jesus' body for burial. And perhaps Judas, he didn't want to hear that message. He wanted a different Christ. He wanted a Christ of his own making. Perhaps also driven by his greed and his love of money. We know Judas was also a thief as the treasurer overseeing the funds for the disciples and for Jesus. He used to help himself again and again to the money in the money pot of the treasury for the disciples. Using it for his own selfish ends. He stole from Jesus all along the way. And perhaps you're driven by his greed and his love of money over any love for Jesus, he took money in order to betray Jesus. This 30 pieces of silver is around approximately $7,500 today, which initially was like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a significant sum, but it was the, the price to pay according to the law for a slave that was gored by an oxen. And you made recompense for what your bull did to a servant of your neighbor by paying them this slave's recompense. It, The fact that it was 30 pieces of silver in that exact amount, you see in the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 11, verse 13, actually, prophesying brothers and sisters and this is amazing the exact amount that Jesus would be betrayed by and not just that but also that a potter's field would be purchased with that money which then in fact did happen i mean every single detail fulfilled of God's holy word this is the word of God living and active and Treasure your Bibles, love your Bibles, and look for all of those precious nuggets in Scripture and savor them every time you read them. And let it through the years just fascinate you with unending awe that every single detail written in the Word of God was fulfilled concerning the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let it inspire your faith that your faith is not futile or in vain, but this is real, this is true. Believe it, trust in it. And build your life upon it. Zechariah 11.13 prophesies the very sum, And and it actually quotes and says this. This was the, quote, lordly price at which I was priced by them. Lordly with a small l. There's almost a, a hint of this is how lowly they esteemed me. Lordly. Judas never called Jesus Lord. He calls Him Rabbi in this section here. But he never called Him Lord. And after all Jesus had done for him, brothers and sisters, he priced the King of Kings at a pittance. And the chief priests, with excitement, agreed to it. It was in effect saying, I'll take 30 pieces of silver. It's almost in effect saying, this man's nothing to me. What affects me in relation to this betrayal is, Jesus willingly chose Judas as one of his apostles. A man he knew would betray him. And there's mystery in this. Wonderful mystery. But this is another way in which Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, brothers and sisters, and yet was without sin. And not only was he without sin, but think about this. When we're sinned against, we sin in response to being sinned against by other people. Very quickly, don't we? You think about this with Jesus in fulfilling all righteousness for you, the righteousness that now covers you. Not only was he without sin, but in the midst of being tempted and pressed harder than any of us have been tempted and pressed. Remember, none of us have resisted temptation to the point of shedding our blood. Hebrews said the strain was so great even later on this evening in Gethsemane that the blood burst from the capillaries in His head, from the stress of knowing He was going to endure the cross for us. He resisted temptation so strongly, but as He was squeezed and tempted harder than any of us have ever been squeezed, not only did He not sin, but perfect righteousness came out. He perfectly loved His enemy. And you see this in the passage, you see this with him in John 13. Jesus washes Judas' feet as a servant, knowing that this was going to take place, and yet washing his feet anyway. I mean, if we knew in advance someone was going to betray us, we would, at the bare minimum, have a serious attitude. But not Jesus. He seems, even in this passage, to be holding out his arms open wide to the very last in terms of appeal to his betrayer and warning him, which was a gracious warning, and warning him through this word that the Son of Man's going to go just as it's written. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Oh, brothers and sisters, he was betrayed. He was treated as nothing. He was tempted in every way as we are. He was a man who suffered such deep wounds. It was not just the, the blood of the cutting but it was the cutting of betrayal that happened even before the cutting of the crown of thorns and you got to remember I think sometimes we have to eliminate the thought that Jesus was just this robot he was this machine that just didn't feel this stuff the way we do he surely he had Borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Even in the midst of carrying and experiencing the betrayal. If any of you have experienced betrayal, know that your Savior was betrayed worse. He has felt the full effects of this fallen world. He is indeed a merciful High priest who is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. He was a deeply wounded man ever before he bled, and he was hurt by this. I read a Christian author this week, and the comment was Jesus died crying. And I just cried when I read that. Because he did that for us. To bring in the new covenant with his blood that believers, Christ's blood of the new covenant means steadfast love for you. But he endured the betrayal and it wasn't easy. The final point to make in relation to this betrayal is that God is always sovereign. He's in control of all evil including the personal evil of Judas Iscariot. He is sovereign over the evil in the universe that has come about through the fall of man into sin. He's always sovereign, which means He's in control over evil. As it says in this Scripture, the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. So God is sovereign. He's in control. Jesus is saying to them, My time is at hand. This is my hour. God is in control. And Jesus knew it. It comforted Him in the midst of this that, Pilate, the only reason you have any authority over me is because it's been given to you from above by my Father. He knew God was in control and that God was sovereign. And yet, we also see in this very same instance, actually in the same exact verse in verse 24, look at that amazing verse, The Son of Man goes as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. God's sovereign over it, man's responsible. And man will be held accountable. Judas meant this for evil. I mean, this was a wicked act. He's described essentially here as sort of the arch sinner to betray Christ In this way. And he's held out in that way throughout Scripture. He betrayed Christ with a kiss. Woe to that man. In fact, in Psalm 41 verse 9, some of the pain and the anguish that Jesus must have been feeling in relation to this is is prophesied about In, in 41 verse 9. The Word of God says this, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, that eating my bread, he's partaking in the Passover feast. And in this culture, you have to understand in the ancient Near East, one of the things that was very, very important was when you you ate a meal together, this was a mark of deep friendship and a bond between you and the individuals at the table. And so to to be eating bread and knowing you're going to betray, it was a wicked act. And yet Jesus kept just offering him repentance, and yet Judas refused to repent. And that refusal to repent, brothers and sisters, was so heavy in terms of the judgment that it brought. We have to look at it. Whoa. To that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Here in relation to this point with betrayal, in terms of man being responsible for sin, we must remember that God is very gracious towards sinners. But there is a time when a sinner dies in sin. There is no second chances. There are none. We are appointed to die once, Hebrews says, and then face the judgment. There is no purgatory. There's no climbing yourself out over time. There's nobody else down on earth praying you into the kingdom as many were deceived to believe during the Middle Ages. There is no chance afterward to repent. It's right now. Right now we all have the opportunity by God's grace to repent and God is mercifully with His arms open wide offering salvation To you through repentance and faith in Christ tremble at that and the awesome gravity of one heartbeat away from either an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell and let us be reflective here in this passage that the punishment of God upon unrepentant sinners in hell is so bad friends so bad for the sinner, so great, that Jesus says it would have been better for that man not to be born. Imagine that. Flee from your sin with horror and fear, a healthy fear. Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, listen, if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off or... Or gouge out your eye. Do whatever you've got to do to be free from sin because there is nothing too severe that you could do to yourself that would be more severe than God's judgment upon you in hell. So better to go in to heaven with one hand than into hell with two. This is how serious sin is. And let us all be sobered by this and come out into the light in repentance and in faith while there's still time. Let us repent and turn from our sins and turn to Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. And heaven is going to be glorious. And we're going to look at that in just a moment when Jesus talks about His kingdom. But let us also be sobered by the warning to Judas. Let us take stock of all of us, our hearts so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take, oh Lord, my heart and seal it. Seal it. Let us cling to Christ with with a desperation. Let us not live coasting. Let us not live just kind of with a haphazard mentality of, you know, me and God are good. But just resting in His grace, but not presuming upon His grace in a way that would kind of say, you know what? I could never do that. No, brothers and sisters, the seed of rebellion, the seed of betrayal, it, it's, 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 it's something that I want to look at with fear and trembling and say, Jesus, apart from your grace, I, I, I'm capable of that. I'm sobered by that. I, I don't want that Jesus. You see that the other disciples, they're, they're affected. They're, they're sorrowful. And Judas just kind of kind of joins into that and he deceives them all, it seems, except for Jesus. And here it seems that the, the Apostle John picks up on it as well and ends up seeing what takes place here and sees that it's Judas while the other disciples still didn't know until later on. But let us cling to Christ and let us be sobered by Jesus' betrayal. Let us love Jesus for enduring the betrayal. Because God ordained it. God ordained this in the story of our redemption. And He, what Judas meant for evil, God meant for good. In saving us from our sins. He accomplished salvation for us. And let that encourage your heart. This morning, God is sovereign over all the evil of the earth. As you look at evil in the news globally, as you look at evil in our nation in the news, as you look at individual instances of evil that put daggers into your own heart, remember that God is sovereign over evil. And God will also punish evil. We need to remember this. When God says, vengeance is mine, He will bring vengeance and justice upon evil and unrepentant sinners. Nobody gets away with anything. And we have to just allow that to minister to us as well. There's this fear of people are getting away with this. And now God sees it all. Our sins will either be punished... Upon Jesus in our place as our substitute. Or sins will be punished upon the sinner in hell. It's one or the other, but justice will be satisfied. Aren't you so glad, believer, that justice was satisfied because Jesus took it for you? I know I am. Believer, Christ's blood of the new covenant means steadfast love for you. Point two, broken and bloodied. Broken and bloodied. They're celebrating the Passover feast. We look at looked at this last week and Jesus really earnestly desired to sell just to, to have this Passover with his disciples. It's one it's a very strong, passionate word. It's it, it's it, i I greatly desire i earnestly desire to have this passover with you before I suffer. He was in the process here of instituting and inaugurating the new covenant with his blood and and he institutes this ceremony which we'll celebrate at the end of the service today through communion that really signifies that Jesus fulfilled the passover and inaugurated the new covenant with his blood all of the sacrificial system and everything that the passover pointed to in the redemption of God's people in the old covenant all was a pointer to the the great fulfillment to which they were all pointing to which is Jesus Christ the lamb of god which takes away the sins of the world to all those who repent and trust in him, This great Passover lamb was offered up and sacrificed. And you've got to understand, the population of Jerusalem here, in the city of Jerusalem, was swelling up to about 2.5 to 3 million people, it seems. And we look last week at around in this time, over these, these two days here, there were 250,000 approximately Passover lambs that were, were sacrificed at the altar, and blood is just pouring out in accordance with the celebration of the Passover feast, this was really the highlight of the Jewish calendar year, to gather for the Passover. And as we look at this, I want to just have you turn in Exodus, because I just want you to see some connections here in relation to what the disciples and Jesus were actually celebrating. Jesus was making preparations. It seems like what took place here is that Jesus had the He he had the preparations prepared for, and the way he spoke, we never know who this man is, the upper room that he rented out for this occasion. It seems Jesus was even being clandestine about it, because had Judas found out about it, you know, just humanly speaking, he would have tried to bring the plot to the upper room instead of in the Mount of Olives later, and Judas didn't know where it was, he didn't know the man, he didn't know the location, and we still don't know who this man was, but Jesus had made arrangements And His disciples took care of it. And in that swelled city of all these millions and millions of Jews celebrating the Passover, amongst them is the fulfillment of the Passover, celebrating it with them. In the city of Jerusalem, the night before He dies, as the true Passover Lamb for their sins and ours, believer. I am so thankful for God. And one of the things that they did during the Passover feast, the Jews, is they had four cups. That remembered four promises from Exodus chapter 6. I want to read Exodus 6, a number of the verses here with you. Let's read 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them, his people, to give them the land of Canaan. So you've got to understand this is covenantal language. The Passover feast is reminding them of the covenant. And Jesus is inaugurating the new covenant in His blood. And so He's, he's really showing that this is really the last true Passover feast. that He's celebrating with them. Because from now on, you'll, you'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. You'll remember what I did in fulfillment of all of these things. Moreover, I heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Thank you, God. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and here's the cups. Number one. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's cup number one that was celebrated during the Passover feast. Cup number two. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And this progressed throughout the Passover feast. Thirdly, look at these promises. Each of them are just glorious, aren't they? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And so they were remembering the Jews. They were remembering what God had already done. And yet in the fourth cup, this is so glorious. Verse 7. It, it, it points to the covenant and God's special relationship with His covenant people, but then it also looks to the future. And you're going to see a real similarity between the way that the covenant looks to the past, but also looks in anticipation to the future and brings great joy. You're going to love this. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8. I will bring you into the land. That I swore to give to Abraham. To Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you. For a possession. I am the Lord. Now you got to remember. They're celebrating this in Jerusalem. They are in the promised land. Celebrating the fulfillment of God's promise to His covenant people and bringing them out from Egyptian bondage and slavery into a land of their own that they're sitting in here experiencing. And Jesus, when He was throughout that evening celebrating this with His disciples, they were looking to the past But they're also looking to the future as well, even with the inauguration of the new covenant here with his blood. Because what the Passover promised, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, that was fulfilled. But God, in the new covenant, brothers and sisters, has brought each of us as believers out. Listen to this. Out from the burdens of your sins and out from the burden of Satan's captivity. Do you realize there's a passage of Scripture that says that you have been taken captive to do His will before you were saved? You were taken captive. You were a prisoner. You were a slave in bondage, just as the Israelites were to Egypt, and yet it was a more oppressive yoke, and one that would have lasted forever. God has done something more glorious for you, Christian, than even he did for the people of Israel in bringing them out from Egyptian slavery. That was a temporal blessing in the land of the living that also had ramifications for them as they believed in the new covenant promises that were prophesied about under the old covenant that Jesus would one day come. also brought with it the spiritual blessings that we also likewise enjoy under the new covenant in Christ and the promise of eternal life in heaven. But we were once under Satan's captivity, and now we are free. We are free indeed. Celebrate that and remember that this morning. The second promise, the second cup of remembrance. I will deliver you from slavery to them. We were slaves to sin and under the dominion and power of sin with no hope of being delivered from it on our own. God, through the cross and through his shed blood, has broken the dominion of sin, and you are free indeed. The third cup I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. These all, these first three cups, all looked to the past with great reflection and saw the fulfillment of God's promise, and the people of Israel rejoiced. We have been redeemed by Christ, sacrificing his body and shedding his blood. Never forget that. You have been redeemed. Christ's life, his blood, was a ransom price by which you have been brought out from slavery to sin and death. And the devil and you have been set free to eternal life and salvation. Your sins are atoned for by the precious blood of Christ. Wrath has been satisfied because Christ has shed his blood and atoned for your sins. And Christ's body was broken, which we'll remember in just a few moments. I love the fourth cup. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. A reminder of salvation to the people of Israel. But then it says, I will bring you into the land. Not only with the Lord's Supper do we look to the past and remember the cross, remember God's deliverance of us out of slavery, but Every Lord's Supper, let us not also just look to the past. Let us also look to the future, the way Jesus intended it, the way the Passover feast celebrated it. Because they celebrated four promises there. And God had indeed brought his people into the land. And God will indeed bring us into the promised land as well the new heavens, and new earth. And we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb in the new Jerusalem. And don't you forget it. This memory here of the cups, when Jesus lifts the cup, He talks about the blood that He's going to shed. And we look back to the cross at the blood that was shed that atoned for our sins. But we also, we look forward, don't we? Because Jesus says something that is forward-thinking. He says, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's the past reference and then he goes future. I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's a day coming real soon and we've been looking at it throughout the Olivet Discourse where we will be enjoying Christ forever in the new heavens and new earth and drinking Drinking with Jesus, the fruit of the vine. Remembering on that joyous day all that Christ has done. and Never having another another earthly sorrow again. Only forever enjoying Christ in our eternal home. Brothers and sisters, believers, Christ's blood of the new covenant means steadfast love for you. I will bring you out of the, out into the land. I will drink it anew with you in my kingdom, Jesus said. In the true land of promise. That the promised land under the old covenant was only a point or two. Uh, the new Jerusalem will be even better than the old. And as all of these millions of Jews were celebrating simultaneously this feast, as Jesus and his disciples were, they couldn't have known that God's salvation had come to them, many of them. Their eyes were on other things, and yet God's sovereign purposes were achieved and accomplished as Jesus in that upper room pledged as He washed His disciples' feet. I've come to be your servant, and tomorrow I'm going to serve you by my body being given for you and my blood being shed for you on the cross. For the joy set before Him, He endured it for us. Often what the Jews would do is they would sing a hymn, and they would sing hymns throughout the Passover feast, and they would sing the Hallel, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And so in verse 30, we read that Jesus sung a hymn with His disciples. And ushers, as you begin to... um, prepare to distribute communion to us, and church, as we prepare our hearts to receive it, I want you to think about this. It's, it's very likely uh, many who I researched this week were saying that it's very probable, we don't know for sure, but it's very probable that the hymn that Jesus and His disciples sung here at the very end of the Lord's Supper being instituted and the New Covenant being instituted and inaugurated, that they song Psalm 118, which is a psalm about the steadfast love of the Lord. Ushers, you can begin to distribute. If you have your Bibles and your phones, if you could turn to Psalm 118, And as we read it together, prepare your heart for communion, but also think about this. They were singing this hymn, and remember the context. Jesus is just about ready to go out into the Mount of Olives and go to war. Gethsemane brought about the strongest temptation, it was where Satan attacked him so hard. And He was broken down so much physically that He needed angels to come and bring strength to Him because He could barely endure it. He did endure it for us. But I want you to think as the disciples were singing this, think of the great joyous applications that flowed to the disciples because of the one who they were in the room singing this hymn with. Think of the joyous applications of this psalm, this hymn, this Jewish hymn for us. But I also want you to think about it in this light. Think about Jesus singing this hymn before he endured the cross and knowing what he was heading into that night knowing what he was heading into the next day on Good Friday, and brothers and sisters, think about how some of the verses must have caused him to tremble. Because we enjoy the benefits of the finished work of Christ. But for Christ, the sufferings that he was about to head into was a valley of darkness and pain that we cannot understand. And that blood of the new covenant that came through His suffering, it means steadfast love for us. But it meant the darkest night of the soul for the precious Lamb of God. And He did that for you Because so great is His love for you. Be comforted. Let us read Psalm 118 together before we partake of the elements for communion. It seems most likely that Jesus was probably singing this and the disciples would sing it in response to Him. I want you to imagine Jesus' voice in this upper room. It seems at this time here, Judas had already gone out. He's with the 11 faithful, true disciples who, speaking of them being faithful and true, are all about to flee him and leave him all alone. But his love for them, his heart for them, as he sung this hymn, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me. Surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Amen, saints? The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Yes, you did, Jesus. Arm of the Lord. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Death. <laughs> Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I'll let it encourage your heart, Jesus, as you're singing this right before you go in. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. I couldn't help but reading 25, Save us, we pray, O Lord, of all the millions of Jews singing that song, as was their custom at the Passover. And they didn't, many of them even know it. But the Lamb of God, the true Passover Lamb, was about ready to head to the Mount of Olives. And bring salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Brothers and sisters, the true Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He's brought us out from under the burdens. He's delivered us out from slavery. He's redeemed you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And He will take us and has taken us to be His people. He is our God who has brought us out from under the burdens of our sins and out from under the weight of the wrath of God that was awaiting us. He died in our place and through His shed blood atoned for our transgressions and satisfied and exhausted the wrath of God against our sins so that we might have the promise that He will bring us into the land And he will drink it, the fruit of the cup, anew with us in his kingdom, in the true land of promise. Looking back, let us remember his broken body that was given for us. Let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Let's remember with the cup, Christ's blood of the new covenant. Which means as Psalm 118 was sung, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever for us, his covenant people. Who are on the recipient, we are recipients of it by his grace. Let us remember the blood of Christ. Tom, if you and the worship band can return, I'd like to sing the song that we sung this morning about the blood of Christ. I believe it was the second song. And church, let us stand. And as we stand, let us pray. Lord, how can we thank You enough for Your broken body and shed blood? How can we thank You enough for the new covenant which has secured steadfast love for us forever. We don't deserve it, but we are so thankful for being on the receiving end of such grace. Such amazing grace. Such steadfast love. Thank You so much that You've never given up on us, Your people. Lord, thank You for enduring the betrayal. Thank You for being broken and bloodied in order to save us and to establish this new covenant with us so that You are our God. And we are your people, and that forever. There was nothing but the blood that could have ever secured it. And we sing of that blood and sing of your grace right now. In Jesus' name, amen. And what a great reminder, King Jesus. didn't stay dead, did he? He rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven as our king.
1: Father, we delight in you today. We are so very thankful that you would send your son to save sinners like us. And those who have been redeemed say thank you this morning because we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve life We don't deserve breath and we definitely don't deserve to be your friend and to have you as our friend. Because there have been many times that we have betrayed you by sinning and yet you still pursue us. You still run after us because you love us. So, Lord, as we leave this place today, let us remember your covenant with us. That Jesus' blood was shed so that we can be reconciled to you. And help us to remember that you are our loving, compassionate Father who is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And you lavish mercy on us every day. And help us as we go to remember to tell others, to tell others of the salvation that we have, to tell others of the great God who saves to tell others that through repentance we can be reconciled to you, O Lord and have friendship with God. Thank you, Lord for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God for salvation in Jesus' name.